Uh, today, being the last Sunday of this year, uh, I had a message about Joseph. It's a great message, but it's not going to be today's message. Uh, as I was reflecting on what God is doing and what God has done over 2015, I, I felt like the Lord uh, changed it a little bit in my head. Now, what he changed was what he changed in my head. It totally changed the sermon, uh, and now it is this big. So work with me, and we will get out on time. Don't work with me. We'll have a couple of breaks. So the last year for New Year's, really challenged all of us to look back at 2014, look at our life, and the question was, have we changed? What has changed? How are we different? Because we experienced 2014. What, is, what was different about you? What had God done in your life? Were you smarter? Were you, were you uh, less angry? Were you more content? Were you nicer? Were you more honest? Were you more brave, courageous? Were you less arrogant, less greedy? Were you less selfish? How had God's presence in your life affected you or influenced you over that year? Or were you the same? And how can we go a year of living in and out of experience with God and not experience any change that we can actually see and recognize? And as I thought about that message, it really came back to me, wow, that's a great question for any year, isn't it? How have I changed because God has been in my life? And if I haven't, have I ha allowed God to have any real influence in my life? Or has he just been kind of a notable presence in my life? And as I reflected with God on this, I, I felt like God was twisting it on me. And the question wasn't, how have I changed? It was really wanting me to focus the lens on what God is changing. How he has responded in 2014, 2015 in this case. What has God done in 2015? What is different because God is at work? And God said, why don't you put the light on me? And as I began to reflect on that question from God, I felt like God was saying, I have been very, very intentional in your lives. I have been very much at work in your lives. Put the light on me, on what I'm doing. And so where this led me was a review of what God has offered us through the sermon series over 2015. 
So we are going to do a review of all the sermons in 2015. I'm a little nervous. It's really not true. We're not going to hit all of it, but we are going to move quickly through the year. And what I want you to do is to let God remind you of things, let God encourage you in things, let God surprise you in some things. And, and my hope is that what we're going to see is how intentional and busy God has been in our lives in 2015. <clears throat> 2015, a year of challenge and change. God has been challenging. He has been pushing change in many of our lives. Uh, I had, uh, we had a sermon series on examples of life, how so often we Google it, we check YouTube, we want to know anything, we Google it. We check YouTube. We can learn to do anything. We can pull off anything. Do you want to do brain surgery? Pull it up on YouTube. Certainly somebody has shared that. And how important those examples of life are and how God recognizes that. How you need examples. I need examples in my life. And we saw some of these examples. The equilibrium of life. That hamster wheel. How we can get caught and repeating and repeating because we're not allowing examples to challenge us. We see people do very powerful things in very difficult situations. That's great, but we don't let it change us. And so God wants to challenge the equilibrium in our life. And the question is, have you truly considered the cost of following Jesus? That's part of what will upset the equilibrium in your life. And has cost prevented any real change? in the direction of your following. And Jesus goes on, he makes it clear how he sees value. That first he wants you to value your relationship with him because that's your centering, that's your safety, that's your ability of transformation. Jesus is a very important value and priority for your life. And then what he will do is elevate the value of people around you, all people around you. And then we need those examples. The scripture is a harvest of example. It's a harvest of what not to do, a harvest of what to do. We have the example of James chapter 5, starting with verse 7 through 11. Patience in suffering. He says, be patient. And he, and he uses the, the farmer as an example. Patiently waiting for autumn and spring. He says, you too, be patient. Stand firm because the Lord is coming near. Don't grumble against one another. You hear that? That's easy, isn't it? He's saying, you want to go forward? You want to break the equilibrium of the hamster wheel? Then stop grumbling. Just, just do that one thing in 2015, 2016. Just stop your grumbling. Some of us will stop speaking if we do that. Brothers and sisters... You will be judged for this. It brings a judgment on us when we grumble. Examples in patience and suffering. We need examples of how to be patient in suffering. Many of you have suffered terribly in 2015. And the Lord calls us into patience with that. In James chapter 5, it goes on. And in 1 Peter 2, verses 18 to 25, living in the injustice... 
He, he uses the idea of slaves. Be reverent, fear God, submit yourself to your masters. He goes on and says, this is commendable because if you're just doing what's just, if you're just nice in, in, the, in, the, in the areas where things are just for you, then you're gonna look really average. And God's people never look average. There's nothing average about God's people. He says, I want you to break the wheel. I want you to step into the example of being gracious and kind and powerful in injustice. That is commendable. He goes on, living in the injustice, verse 21 of 1 Peter 2. To this you were called. Oh, really? I was called to actually enjoy injustice. Well, not exactly enjoy it, but to persevere and to be the persona of Christ in that injustice. Christ suffered for you, leaving you what? An example that you should follow in his steps. Stop making injustice your reason for doing bad things, for having bad behavior, for using bad language, for, for, for disliking people, for having unforgiveness, for sinning. Use Christ's example. We need examples in our life. Examples of how to value life. Philippians 3, 15 through 6 through 17. And to join together in this, and then we need examples for our speech and our conduct, 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. Don't let anyone look down on you, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. The Bible has examples that will set you free, but they will also cost you the old self. They will rival Everything in you that demands something different. We need examples in sacrificial love. Ephesians 5, 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Sacrificial love is our example. And then finally, our example of living in a hostile world. Titus 2, 7 through 8. In everything, set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. You may remember the series on God's Witness Protection Program. The entire series was really about how different things have to be. I said, I talked about the familiar. Nothing is familiar in God's Witness Protection Program. He deals with our sin, our past. He gives us a new life, a fresh start. But it does not mean that our minds, our lifestyle, or our life direction are able to embrace the new life. I shared with you that the United States government has never lost a witness they were protecting who followed the rules and did not go back to their old life. 
And I can tell you that God has never lost anyone that he was protecting unless they went back to the old life. How does God do it? Achieving that success. The past crimes of, of this person must be dealt with. The individual begins to testify and aligns with their testimony. The individual receives a new identity, and this individual is relocated and gets a fresh start in life. That's what God does for his people. And then we looked in that at the core influences, how we invest our mind, our activities, um, the circle of friends and the, and the people, the relationships we have, and then job and school. Looking at the first one, the mind. What is going in and coming from the attitudes and the thinking of our mind? What do they promote? Do they promote the old life, the new life, or do they not promote anything? Our activities, the things we are choosing to engage in, what do they promote? The old life, the new life, or do they not really promote anything? How did we live 2015? Did our thoughts promote the new life? Did our activities promote the new life, or did they just really not do anything? Were we on the wheel going and going and going? Our jobs our means of living, our responsibilities in society. Do they reflect the new life? Do they promote the new life? Are our jobs, are our school, our education, are they idols to us? Have they become our identity? Am I a pilot more than I am a person following Jesus? Am I a musician more than anything else? Do they promote and reflect my new life? How do I invest? How do I spend my time, my money, my talents? Do they reflect and promote my new life? The mind, part one, we're a new creation. New life is flowing, but this is only the beginning. The new creation must learn to make decisions stand its ground, listen and operate in self-discipline. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 shares this with us. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. Part two, our mind will play in the success or the failure of our new life. I can't describe how important the mind is to where you're going in 2016. The old life becomes mastered with the renewing of our mind. The old desires, the greed, the envy, things of the world, anger, rage, despair, they become mastered when we renew our mind in Christ. Part three of the mind, God comes to the rescue in the battle of the mind. He brings powerful new life equipping. He'll give you everything you need. Equipping for the battle of the mind, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God's presence, 
is in us for our success. Part four, how do we renew our minds? We must take charge of our minds. We must embrace the new sense of purpose, the role and the power we're given to enter in and grow in this new life. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellence and praiseworthy, think about these things. The rules of our success, leave your old life of crime. Leave your old acquaintances. Leave your old ways of thinking. Embrace new ways of making a living, new allegiances, new friendships. Embrace your new identity. In other words, nothing familiar. We looked at our passion, the passion that we have. Over and over, we see in these examples, follow your passion. Let your passion describe your life. We had all these statements and all these sayings that are about our passion. Be true to your passion. Do you know that none of those are a biblical approach to passion? God would never say, you know, Bill, just follow your passion. What if it's that married girl over there? Yeah, that's all right. Just follow your passion. Be true to your passion. That is not what God tells us. That is not served man well. There are other words that Bible uses for passion. And it affects and comes from our character qualities. Integrity, purity, perseverance, kindness. The scripture uses the word zeal to describe passion. A burning zeal is something the scripture uses. It's used of God as a jealous rival, most eagerly desirous, zealous for things, to acquire a thing, to defend or uphold something vehemently, contending for a thing. The idea behind the word zealous in this passage means means to desire earnestly, to pursue, to strive after, to busy oneself, to exert oneself so as to hold on. This is how God wants you to see him. The life that he's purchased for you, to be passionate about it. John 2, 17, then his disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture, passion for God's house will consume me. We're going to skip over to Titus 2. Jesus was passionate for you. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You see, passion is the ultimate. When you have a passion for Jesus, a passion for the word, a passion for your new life, what the scripture would say is it's the ultimate sign of transformation. When we don't like the Bible, 
when we don't really know who Jesus is, when we don't know who God is, and we don't find the life that he is offering us of any value, we will not be passionate, and it will not affect us. We'll skip to Revelation 3, 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, zealously, and repent. And then we follow that with something I really like. Lead your passion. Don't follow your passion. Lead your passion. Jesus wants to be your passion. The place where you find friendship, identity, a belonging, gain personal value, and purpose. We looked at moving on. Some real questions in moving on. We have the guy holding on by the fingertips. Maybe that's you today. Maybe it's been you. Some real questions. Why is real change so difficult? Do you remember that question? Why does it so often require a crisis to bring problems to a solution? You ever notice that? We really don't change a lot until there's some kind of gun at our head. Why do I do things I don't agree with? Why is my purpose in life so limited by my life? We looked at this reality. You're stuck. No, really, you're stuck. Over our life, most of us change, but rarely because we choose to. Typically, it is forced upon us in some way. Fixing behaviors, survive to live. So if you want to fix some, some behavior, you can do that with some power applied to the right place. If I really want to stop a certain behavior, I can do something and I can perhaps make that different. So if you're just trying to live and survive, just applying some power, some pressure to some bad habit you have can usually do the trick for that thing. If I want to stop smoking, one way I can do that is really start eating more. If I want to stop eating more, I could take up smoking. If I don't want to fight with my wife, one thing I can do is never be around her. See, there are ways we can fix things, but it's only fix the behavior. You see, real change requires something more. We saw that Many want to see growth as a Christian, but the power required leaves us stuck. Many want to see a difference in our character. This is why we often, it often requires a crisis to get people to a different place. Pressing onward and upward requires more than living and surviving Going sideways is not the same as going up or forward. Are you a sideways person sometimes? Any sideways people here? I can be a sideways person. It's got to be progress. I'm worn out. (laughs) 
Kate and I were using a trencher, and we were digging this trench in gumbo that was wet and gummy. And what happens is the blade gums up, and all it does is just picks it up and repacks it on the back side. So we're burning a lot of fuel. We're doing a lot of work, but the trench is never really deeper until we get our hands and our little shovels and we're digging it out. I think life is often sideways. That's why when we look at a year, we go, so how have I changed? I see some events, you know, my electricity got cut off. That was a change. My car got repossessed. That was a change. I got pregnant. That was a change. How many changes did God initiate for you and I? We said the key is what's under the hood. The key to change is right here. And unless we are willing to use what God puts inside us to bring change, then the change will have to be external. And so this is why crisis becomes the primary way real change happens. Real change happens today, not tomorrow. Real change happens today. And because I can put change off till tomorrow, I'm always changing tomorrow. And the language we used was because we surrender today. We're willing to surrender today. We never surrender tomorrow, but we're often willing to surrender today. I'm going to start my Spanish lessons again tomorrow. The scripture reveals the secret of real change. The real secret of real change is today. If you want to change, the secret is today. You use what God has put inside you. You use the power of his presence. You use the willingness of his spirit to participate with you. And you Allow the change to begin today, not tomorrow. We also looked at vision. The vision and the mission that's needed. And how the need for God exists to live in the vision and the mission. God tells us this, this is your race. It's your time. 2016, 2015, these are about you. They're about me. And that we are stewards of a great empire. You realize God kind of looks at you as a great empire? You have all the potential to produce and to reveal greatness. We have that in Christ. You are a steward of that, as am I. 
And time is your greatest and most powerful resource. 2015 represented an unlimited amount of resource for you and I. 2016 offers the same. And we are the steward. Your gifts and your talents, your design, all of those are under your power, under your authority. The purpose God has given. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We also looked in that about the life of missed opportunity. How we have the potential to live our whole life, but never really move into our purpose. We have the potential to exist day in and day out. We have the potential to be good, but never accomplish. You see, we have that equal potential of greatness are just living. And many of us can live to be 70, 80, 90 years old. And at the end of that period, our life was just this mixed bag of events and experiences of going forward, going backward, of relations and broken relations, lost relations. But if you were to try to describe your purpose, most people land on, he was a good dad or a good brother. He's friendly, always kind. We looked at a servant in the scripture who had been entrusted, who buried the gold. He lived his life he may have been productive in society, but he missed his race. He was given the gold to accomplish. You were given your life to accomplish God things. And to put that off till tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow until your days are done, you will miss your race you will miss your greatness. We looked at finishing well. The individual and the church, how they're different, how they're the same. And they were called to be an individual who finishes well, a part of a body of Christ who is finishing well. Then we looked at the program to change the world. God describes the effects of sin, the sin on humanity. Man's condition is not fixable by man. He describes man's hope that God would send his own son to bring creation, mankind, complete healing and restoration and the powerful, against the powerful effects of sin. In the right time, Jesus came as a man, showing a new way of being human. 
He came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus was the rescue. He came as the light to the world, and he came as the hope to the world. Jesus was an activist. You see, when you look at these things, you begin to see Jesus describes his life, the program to change the world. He shows himself as an activist. And the people who followed Jesus became like Jesus. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He broke the power of deception. He gave people truth. And people that followed him did the same thing. And what we found is God's program to change the world is you. You are the program. We see in Scripture that what Jesus did, he was the light to the world. You are now the light to the world. He was the hope of the world. You are now the hope of the world. He gave truth and demonstrated, and he says, you shall be my witnesses. The world will experience you. Powerful, one with authority, one with compassion, boldness, fearless, aware of time, and focused on your purpose. How did he do it? How do you do it? He let the Holy Spirit guide him. He went in the power, the authority, the compassion, the boldness, the focus and the purpose God gave him. And he started where he was. You and I start today where we are. Jesus did not look to declare which ones were villains and victims. He looked to save them all. When we talk about injustice, we want to demand justice. But the effects of our demands for justice, we are guilty of the same things. Skipping down to the next slide, you see, when we are picking out who is guilty and who is sinful, when we are willing to judge other people, we are showing a great disregard for God's kindness and compassion the very things that we need. James, I want to skip with start where you are, to where you are, rather. Do you see that? It'll say, start where you are at the top. While he's getting that. Thank you. Become aware of the people around you. Prepare to be inconvenienced. It will cost you. It's not about picking a side, but about touching people. Become informed. 
love people. Refrain from judging people who might be against the people you love. First Corinthians 9, verse 19 through 23. We're just going to pick up 23. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Actually, pretty close to the end. And finally, we moved on to habits. Essential part of your success and failure. For most of us, our lives... Uh, is lived in the form of habits. Habits really, for the most part, control us more than we think. We talked about a cycle, the cue, the routine, the reward. Habits are always about getting something, accomplishing something. They're the result of desires, character, needs, and values. And the reason it becomes so important to master our habits is because most of our life is lived under their power. The way I think about a certain person or a certain group of people, the way I look at churches or pastors, the way I look at school or rich people or pretty girls, or handsome guys, the way I look at sex or marriage, the way I see children, the way I see risk, the way I see fear. It all comes out of habit. We build good habits and we build bad habits. But when you knock something over and that first word that comes out and it's just kind of like, oh, she. That's a habit. That's what that word is. You didn't have to look around and carefully select that word. It was already loaded, wasn't it? Bam! There's the word. And you can say anything you want at that point. You can say, well, oops. Oh, I don't usually say that. Well, you usually say that when you knock the glass over. That's when you usually say it because it's the habit. It's what we do. You see, it's the autopilot of the soul. And what God wants to do is change your autopilot so that when injustice happens, when tragedy happens, when good things happen, when bad things happen, when you get a lot of money, when you lose a lot of money, when those things happen, the resource of your core, good things flow out. God wants to change our habits. He wants you to care about them. He doesn't want you to control them. Well, he wants you to control them. But that's not enough. Because what's on the inside is where they're coming from. Habits are disciplines. And there are spiritual disciplines. 
So the things or the activities that we can do to bring about spiritual formation or transformation. So spiritual disciplines, they're really, they don't make you spiritual. To read your Bible every day will not make you spiritual. To pray every day will not necessarily make you spiritual. These things are, I won't say that won't make you, I'm saying it's not like this guarantee that if I read 10 minutes a day, I'm going to be 10 minutes a day more spiritual. They, they won't in and of themselves make you righteous. They won't in and of themselves make temptation go away. They won't stop your flesh in its tracks. And they don't by themselves make you a better person. What do they do? They clear the old, make room for the new. They give you space. They provide space for God's input. They provide needed truth to feed on. They provide opportunity for the inside of you. What do they do? They break routines. They break habits. That's why they're important. They're intentionally interrupting. I get up in the morning. I, you know, turn on the news. I pick up my game where I left off. I eat something. It breaks those routines. And finally, we just looked at the authority of the Scripture in today's world. I want to go to the last slide. As I was reflecting across this year, I see where God wanted to challenge our habits. He wanted to let us know that operating from your core is a good thing. But our core needs transformation, just like our behavior does. He wanted us to know that following him will cost you everything in your life. That following him is real and it's powerful. But the ability to follow him is going to come from letting go of the life you have created. And that he can protect what you give him in your life. He wanted you to know that in 2015. He wanted you to know that to change the ability to experience transformation is going to take allowing him to really do that work or we're just affecting behavior. And 2016 will look very much like 2015. He wanted you to know that the scripture is powerful enough to be the authority 
and the voice of truth in your life to lead you and guide you. 2015, God shared a lot of things with us about us being open and ready for what he's doing. 2015, God challenged us about changing the inside. In 2015, God made it clear that many of us are stuck. It wasn't an accusation. It was a diagnosis. And that he was here to set us free. The verse I believe God gave us are verses for 2016 are out of Isaiah 43. I believe 2015, God was preparing us for where he's taking us. Forgetting the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to drink to my people, my chosen. I believe God has given us a year of self-evaluation I believe he's given us a year of saying, this is where we're going, and this is what it's going to take. He's challenged us on surviving and managing our behavior, and he's called us to something greater, to really following him and seeing how powerful that can be. He's challenged us that the world is ready for the voice and the example of Jesus in everyday people. Everyday people. Something powerful about everyday people. So when you experience injustice, that makes you an everyday person. When you experience disappointment, that makes you an everyday person. When you suffer in loss, that makes you an everyday person. Can everyday people powerfully in joy and in peace follow Jesus? That's the people I believe God was preparing in 2015. God wants you to know he was very busy in 2015. He was very busy. And I believe God is very excited about 2016. And he wants you and I to believe in him. To believe in him that he's got the guns to make 2016 happen. 
But more importantly, he wants us to believe that we are a part of that story. If you would stand.